The NCAA tournament is back, and both UVA and Virginia Tech are included in this year's field. We'll break down those brackets, look at the Commonwealth's other tournament teams, and maybe talk a little spring football this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 45 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's UVA, Virginia Tech, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here, as he always does, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, it's it's hard to believe we've done 45 of these things, but uh, for the first time, we're going to be previewing March Madness. Isn't that nice? (laughs) Instead of lamenting its demise, as we did a year ago. Yeah, rewind a year ago, play that episode, and we were uh, in a decidedly more somber uh, mood. Uh, this is exciting. The, the NCAA tournament is back, and and hey, there are five teams from the Commonwealth included in the field. Uh, that makes it more exciting, doesn't it? Absolutely. Five teams for the third time, and the first two, 2011 and 2019, team from the Commonwealth reached the Final Four. Just saying. Wouldn't that be exciting? We, uh, we'll we get into some of the brackets and the draws. I don't know how well that shapes up for our, our contingent this year, but uh, we'll get into that in a second. But David, I'm curious, what, what are some of your uh, childhood memories of, of, of watching the tournament? I don't know. Did you have televisions back then? And uh, <laughs> what, what stands out for you from kind of, you know, watching the NCAA tournament as a kid? I mean, my introduction was UCLA hmm. and the and the Wooden Dynasty. Uh, Lou Alcindor is the first iconic player I remember in the tournament. And then Alcindor moved on and then it became Bill Walton and the Walton gang. Uh, he, him going 21 of 22 in, from the field in the final against Memphis in 73. And then the following year at the final four in Greensboro. Finally, the UCLA dynasty ends at the hands of David Thompson and North Carolina State in the semifinals. <laughs> now, did you get to, I remember I, I had one teacher who did the wheel in the television to the classroom thing, but that was it. And by junior year of high school, I was in that bunch that would, would dip out for lunch. <laughs> uh, um, you, we were allowed to eat lunch away from our high school campus. I would dip out for lunch with a couple friends and not return for the second half of the day because uh, both my parents worked. and <laughs> I'd, I'd go home and we'd make some food and grill some hot dogs and we would sit there and watch the games. Uh, did you do any of that or, or were you a better student than I was? Well, Mike, when I was in school, the, the tournament wasn't on during the week, during the school day. That's how old I am. So <laughs> See, we, dated- we, we, we did not have that option. I've dated you here then. I date myself all the time. <laughs> so the last thing before we, before we get into this year's draw, but uh, a few of the tech players and, and coach were asked about the, the idea of one shining moment, the, the segment at the end of the uh, tournament broadcasts and kind of what that means. David, for you, is that, I, I know some people, they, you know, record it, they watch it over and over. They, that's like the moment they're waiting for other people. It's like when the game ends, the tournament's over, they're done. So where, where do you stand on, on one shining moment? Mike, when the game ends, I'm working and so are you. <laughs> so 
one shining moment could not be more irrelevant <laughs> when, when you've got your nose in a laptop and you've got editors back home saying, where's our copy? Well, I'll tell you that I am one of the ones I record it, especially now that, like you said, I, I'm generally busy <laughs> when it's being uh, shown. I record it and go back and watch. And I, I do remember as a kid that um, that was the one thing that sort of my parents would let me stay up uh, late and, and watch it. Uh, you know, the tournament would over, it'd be over and, and mom would probably say, you know, all right, turn off the TV, time for bed. And I'd have to every year kind of explain anew, <laughs> well, wait, they do this thing at the very end. And, uh, and over the years, that post game has gotten longer and longer and more interviews and more, there's more between the end of the game and one shining moment. So I'm, I'm happy now that uh, I'm old enough. I don't have to explain it to anybody because I think that would have been a tougher sell for my parents. Now, David, to get to this point, and, and if we're going to get to that, you know, one shining moment, it, the players, coaches, staff, fans, they've all been through so much this year uh, just to get here. But here we are. And, and I asked UVA coach Tony Bennett about what kind of excitement or, or maybe relief his players are feeling uh, as they sit here on the verge of heading to Indianapolis. Yeah, young people are so resilient. You see that in, in a lot of ways, and uh, they, they want that opportunity. And so that's, I think... You know, I, like I said, when I Friday, you could see the look in their eyes. So I think this breathed life into them. So yeah, I think they're they're certainly hungry and certainly looking forward to that that chance in Indianapolis. David, we we think they're going to get that chance in Indianapolis. Right. Of course, UVA had to leave the ACC tournament in Greensboro last week following a positive COVID nineteen test after that that thrilling win over Syracuse, where Reese Beekman hit the the game winner. So, you know, what do we think? Are, are we going to see? Virginia in Indianapolis, first of all. And if we do, are we going to see Virginia or are we going to see a watered down version of Virginia? What does your kind of gut tell you here? Well, first of all, Mike, you think Reese Beekman beat the clock against Syracuse? <laughs> Virginia's positive COVID test beat the clock because had this come down a day later, the Cavaliers are not able to meet NCAA protocol and in all likelihood, would have had to remove themselves from tournament consideration before the bracket was even revealed on Sunday. But be because they will be able to escape quarantine on Thursday night, which will be, have been the, the, the week-long period required by, by health officials, they can then, as of now, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon, They'll be on schedule to fly to Indianapolis on Friday, test again in the bubble there, and then play play Saturday night. I mean, the, the, the selection committee did them a solid by assigning them a Saturday game. And I yeah, think I, I don't I don't think that was by mistake, right? Oh no, no. They absolutely <laughs> did that on on purpose. You know, Virginia is the the reigning national champion and I think they would have done it for, for any team facing that kind of quarantine timeline and especially your reigning national champion. Yeah. And, and you know, what makes it tough here is, and obviously you want to play and that's the number one thing, but you know, the other teams are there. I, I spoke with Ohio's coach and, and some of their players. Uh, they're there in, in Indianapolis. They've tested out of their quarantine that you have to do when you get there. Um, 
they're able to practice. Virginia doesn't have that. The earliest they're going to practice is Thursday. They may be able to, to walk through or something Friday. Uh, you're obviously not going to run a full practice the day before a game anyway. Uh, so this is going to be, be dicey because they're not in a great spot right now. And, and Tony Bennett updated us on, on all that Sunday night. Uh, right now, the majority of our team is contact traced and in quarantine uh, because of the positive case that happened um, after the Syracuse game. And again, we're going to keep testing daily. And our medical people, you know, who are outstanding, are working with the NCA to follow every protocol. I mean, that's why our name was called. And you know, the timing is never a good time to <laughs> to have it. And it's this is not ideal, but. Um, if you're going to have it, we took it about to the last day that you could have a positive case. David, that's exactly what you were referring to. They Mm -hmm. left themselves just enough time. Now, they ended up getting a four seed. They play Ohio on on Saturday, then Creighton. That's the draw. I mentioned the lack of preparation here. So what do we think? Is is Virginia in position to to beat Ohio, or or are we worried that um, that's going to be quite a first-round game? Can you tell me who the Virginia player who tested positive is? I mean, that's isn't, isn't the big question, right? Yeah, because that that young man will not be available for either the first or second round if UVA advances. So the Cavaliers are perhaps the most curious, intriguing team in in the field in my mind because we have no idea what we might get. Has has any team tried to prepare for an NCAA tournament in quarantine? No. And without a player, the identity of whom we don't know. I have absolutely no idea what to expect Saturday night in Bloomington against the Mid-American Conference Tournament champion. Yeah, and, and you know, if we get to that point, which we certainly hope we do, Ohio in its own right is an intriguing opponent. Um, they've got the inside-out pick-and-roll play with their guard, Preston, and with Dwight Wilson, the forward, who's actually a, a JMU transfer. Um, they come in obviously hot, having won that that MAC tournament. And, you know, I talked to their coach, Jeff Bowles, and I, and I said, you know, normally when a, a lower seed, they were a five seed in the conference tournament, right. uh, wins the conference tournament, they get some help, right? <laughs> Somebody knocks off number one or number two or number three ahead. Of, they had to play three teams that were ahead of them in the standings, um, all of whom had beaten Ohio during the regular season. Now, the top of the MAC standings were pretty clustered and pretty close, but uh, this is a dangerous Ohio team, even without the issues that Virginia is going through. Agreed. And Tony Bennett last night on his radio show, Mike, paid James Preston quite the compliment, and he compared him to Ty Jerome. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we all know what Virginia fans, and especially Tony Bennett, think of, of of that young man, such a huge piece of the 2019 National Championship run. So absolutely, o- Ohio is capable. Now, if Virginia is at full strength and had a full week of practice, I'd be picking the Cavaliers to advance in the bracket, no doubt. But g- given all the unknowns, t- to me, this just looks like a coin flip. Yeah, I think that's certainly fair. And, you know, there's a lot of intriguing side stories. I I wrote about it today, and we'll have it up on Richmond.com, that that go with this Ohio-Virginia matchup, just in terms of connections. And uh, we mentioned Jeff Bowles, the coach. He was a member of that Ohio team that upset 
then number 14 UVA in the preseason NIT in, in I think it was 1994, uh, ended up going on to Madison Square Garden, winning the, the preseason NIT. That was a loaded UVA team. Um, Junior Burrow, it had a court, uh, uh, Corey Alexander on that team. Uh, so when Jeff Bowles saw UVA Virginia pop up uh, on the on the screen as his matchup, that was the first thing he thought of. Uh, what was the first thing you thought of when you saw uh, that that pairing? Well, Mike, you talk about that UVA team being loaded. They went to the Elite Eight <laughs> that season. I mean, that's how good, that's how good they were, and and lost to to, to Arkansas in the uh, regional final in Kansas City, I, I believe, if, if memory serves. I mean, that was one of the things that, that immediately came, came to my mind. But I didn't know anything about the Bobcats this season. So my other reaction was, oh, wow, I need to get on Ken Palm. <laughs> I, I, I need to get on the interwebs and figure out a little bit about these cats. Well, as we did, as we did our research, we found a couple other fun things. And, and, and the, um, the story about the kid who transferred from JMU is interesting because he didn't get to play last year when, when JMU and, and UVA met. Um, he was really looking forward to kind of getting his shot at then the, the reigning, and I guess they still are, national champions. But Dwight Wilson had an ankle injury, so he wasn't able to play. So he said when he saw the matchup pop on his screen, that was the first thing he thought was kind of the universe was giving him another shot at the Cavaliers. I think the most interesting yes. uh, little little tidbit, uh, and it's what led me to write the story, uh, one of the players uh, on this team is actually named after uh, Tony Bennett and his father, Dick Bennett, uh, because Dean Vanderplas played with Tony Bennett at Wisconsin Green Bay. They were college teammates. Uh, they helped that team to two NITs and an NCAA berth. Uh, and so when, when Dean's son was born, uh, he named him Ben, Ben Vanderplas, who is a sophomore forward on Ohio. Uh, I spoke to Dean yesterday. He told me their house is decorated with Virginia basketball stuff. They got a pennant up from the national championship. They have a picture of the family uh, in in the final at the final four where UVA won their national title. He said, uh, "I'm a Tony Bennett fan, but but this this weekend, obviously, he said I bleed green. He'll be <laughs> rooting for his son in Ohio." Uh, that's a pretty cool and, and fun little anecdote going into this one. Absolutely, and and Tony Bennett elaborated some about it again last night on his on his radio show, saying that. Dean Vanderplus was at his wedding. And I mean, that's how, how close they have remained over the years since, since playing together. And yeah, it's a, it's a really cool connection. And what, what did he tell you? He's, he's got a, a, a picture on his desk that he's going to turn <laughs> over. He doesn't even want to look at it this week from the ninth or from the 2019 final four. Yeah, a few minutes after I ended that interview, he actually texted me that that photo. It's in a frame. It sits on the desk there, and uh, he said the plan is to to flip it down at least until they get through uh, th- this matchup. And uh, you know, he said it's it's a little bit bittersweet because obviously he would love to see both his son and and his close friend advance. But uh, g- given the choice, I guess you know, blood is thicker than water, and uh, he'll be he'll be obviously rooting for Ohio. It's going to be an interesting matchup, and that brings us to this week's. Take it or leave it. Thanks, Mike. This is an easy question. Virginia will advance to the second week in Indianapolis. Take it or leave it. And let's start with David. I'm going to leave it, guys, because I just don't have enough information. (laughs) I I don't know 
the the identity of the player who who won't be there and a common denominator of teams that have had success against UVA this season is that they shoot it well, especially beyond the arc. And Ohio fits that bill, and so does Creighton, the potential second-round opponent. So I'm I'm going to leave it. Okay. Mike? Yeah, I'm inclined to leave it as well. I, I think Virginia is going to win the first one. I, I think that I think they're going to come out. Um, we've seen this program, the resilience of this program, right? And usually over over bigger windows of time. You know, after UNBC, you come back and win the national title, things like that. Um, you know, within the course of a season, there was a the year that they just got whipped by by Tennessee and then uh, really rebounded to, to form into a good team. Um, but this is a tight window. I, I think they're going to rally and they're going to play really well and they're going to get it done against Ohio. David just mentioned it's that next matchup with Creighton. I don't love either matchup. They're both high field goal percentage teams. They both do some things that if they're on that day could get uh, UVA in trouble. It just feels like UVA is going to have to expend so much to beat Ohio with everything they're going through. Um I think that makes the second one really hard. So I think Virginia is going to be the feel-good story of Saturday. And then I think Monday night, we're going to be packing up our bags and, and heading home. Uh, David, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and we all know who would loom in the Sweet 16 if the Cavaliers <laughs> were to advance. I, I was trying to be somewhat positive, so I wasn't even going to mention that uh, your reward, right? <laughs> if, yeah. you, if you get it done uh, and if you overcome everything, your reward is a, a rematch with Gonzaga, who, and David, you and I have talked about this. I can't remember if it's been on the pod or just in passing, but um, Gonzaga feels like a legit 26-0, right? Like not, it, it wasn't about matchups. This is a really good Gonzaga team. Yes, it is. And I haven't picked my bracket all the way through yet but i'll be very surprised if once i get to that championship game if i'm not putting gonzaga's name as as the national titleist so that means you're not predicting a norfolk state win over app and then upset over gonzaga in the first round is that not what you're leaning to in your bracket i am not leaning that way but we've seen now we've seen a 16 beat a one so it's certainly puts our antenna up it, it puts it on our radar but yeah um whoever comes out of that uh, first four game between Norfolk State and App State, uh, good luck. Good luck there with, with Gonzaga. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good luck also to Virginia Tech because I thought a 10 seed was lower th- than they deserved. I thought they deserved a better seed, and I absolutely, uh, honestly hate their their draw uh, for the Hokies if you're, if you're a Tech fan. They play Florida Friday. Um, that is a very tough game. Uh, a coin flip, I think, at the best. And if they were to win, they get Ohio State, a two seed that very easily could have been a one seed. So, David, let's start with with the ten. Um, I know Mike Young says it doesn't matter, and you're going to play good teams. But uh, and in your second round matchup, hey, if they were a seven in a seven ten game, they might have still been in line to face Ohio State uh, the second second round. But what do you think of the ten seed, Mike? I had them pegged for a nine, so I'm certainly not outraged. And if I'm a Hokies fan, I'd sure rather be a 10 than an 8 or a 9. Because in that 8-9 slot, you're playing a number one seed in the second round as opposed to a number two. And I think there's a difference. And the way the bracket worked there in the South region, what essentially happened was 
the North Carolina Virginia Tech winner was going to be on that 8-9 line. That happened to be the Tar Heels. They will open against Wisconsin with the winner to presumably take on top-seeded Baylor. And then the loser was going to end up on the 10 line, and that turned out to be the Hokies, and, and they drew Florida. And the Gators did really didn't have the regular season that they might have hoped for in large measure because Keontae Johnson from Norfolk, mm-hmm. the SEC preseason player of the year, had that terrible health scare in Florida's loss at Florida State early in the season and then was not cleared to, to return. I mean, just thank goodness the, the young man is okay. It was a, a, a cardiac issue, but one that upon very intensive um, medical examinations was not related to his previous contraction of COVID-19. Yeah, which was certainly the thing that that sent shockwaves on another level. I think through through college sports and college basketball, but um, yeah, really just a in what's already a trying and hard year. Um, you know, his story just breaks your heart because uh, you know what what would they have been certainly with him healthy, and um, you, you just hope that it's not something that that has a long term effect, and um, you know that that he's he's able to get back to to normal life if nothing else, and. Um, but this is still a pretty good Florida team, even oh, without yeah. and a lot of talent. You know, it starts with Trey Mann, and, and this is a the, the, I think in a sense the good news for Virginia Tech is Florida is a great guard team, and I think Virginia Tech is capable of guarding great guard teams. It's not a hulking front court like UNC or Florida State, which I think was the matchup, uh, the style matchup that Tech fans had to be worried about. So this is the kind of matchup albeit a tough one, that I think Virginia Tech can find success defending. I think they can, except you, you mentioned Trey Mann, and if I recall correctly, he goes about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, <laughs> That's as good an on-ball defender as Wabisa Beatty is. That's that's difficult. He's going to be giving up some size there, and I'll be very interested to, to watch that matchup. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. I, I talked to Beatty today from uh, from his hotel out in Indianapolis, and, and one of the topics was you know defending man, defending somebody so much bigger. And he had actually told me this anecdote a few years ago, but it came up again um, that as a kid he he always liked to play against older kids and and the football players because he wanted to get knocked around. He he wanted to experience that. How do you defend somebody who's just bigger and stronger than you? And um, he takes a lot of pride because Beatty's a strong kid. No, oh, he's yeah. not a big kid but he is a strong i mean he, he he's a little truck um it's going to be fascinating and but one of the things about this virginia tech defense that, that makes it so good is their ability to help um Beatty told me you know mike young likes to throw up his fist to remind them hey we we play as a fist we play as one we're you know we're not separate fingers we're the hand and um that's like his signal from the bench to remind them that this is the way they're going to succeed and uh, Beatty told me, Nahima Lean, he said, is the best help defender he's ever played with. He said if he can force his guy uh, to that side of the court where Elaine is, he feels like he knows there's going to be somebody waiting there to shut him down. And then Keve Aluma is a great help defender. He's good at getting out on shooters. He's a great rim protector, too. They're not the biggest front line, but Keve Aluma really does give them rim protection. So this is a well-built 
well-constructed, well-thought-out defense that if they play the way they're capable and, and go back to, to Villanova or some of those games, um, this could be an excellent, excellent defensive team. Agreed. And what I think also helps them, Mike, is that two of the cogs that you just mentioned of that defense in Beattie and Aluma have extensive NCAA tournament experience. Before we started recording this afternoon, I went back and looked at Wofford's box scores from the, the, the two NCAA games that Mike Young's bunch played in, in 2019, the victory over Seton Hall, and then the very close loss to Kentucky. Aluma had 19 rebounds combined <laughs> in, in, in those games. and No, excuse me, 15, but played really well, blocked shots, had some assists, didn't score much because he never shot the ball um, very often on that team with Fletcher McGee, the leading three-point shooter in the country. But I and, and Beattie, of course, being a veteran of that Sweet 16 Hokie squad from 2019. So I like that. I think postseason experience matters even in this unique bubble situation. Yeah, you know, Beattie and I talked about that today too, and, and he said something I, I thought was just really fascinating. The first answer was, you know, oh, I, I tell my younger teammates to enjoy it and take it all in, which which is great, you know, advice. But then he had a more technical answer, and he said during the season. When you take a bad shot or you make a bad pass in a game that you're winning by double digits and Coach Young yells at you or one of the veterans jumps you, this is why. It's because you can't afford it in March mm-hmm. and in its habits. And he said that's the thing he learned from his NCAA tournament experience was what a bad shot can do to you in a game of this magnitude. These games are played at such a, a close, tight proximity. One or two, you know, it's more like a football game where three or four plays go one way. Frank Beamer used to always say, oh, three or four plays, and it's a different outcome. Well, Beatty says that when you get to the NCAA tournament and you're playing such tough, tight games, that's the mentality. And it's why when you've been to the NCAA tournament, you appreciate that coaching when you're up by 20 in a non-conference game. Because a bad shot that seems meaningless, if you do it in March, it can get you beat. Beatty has played in the NCAA tournament against Duke, Luma has played in the NCAA tournament against Kentucky. I don't think anything's going to freak them out this week in Indianapolis. Nope. Now, can they spread that through their teammates? Correct. One teammate that they're not going to have, he's going to be on the trip, but he's not going to play it at least Friday. And David, it's starting to get the feeling like maybe it's not going to happen for the poor kid. But Jalen Cohen, who had that ankle injury against Miami on February 6th, he hasn't played since. We keep hearing, you know, maybe now, maybe now, maybe now. He's out for this first game. Uh, what's the impact and what's the outlook there? I got the sense that he's out for the weekend. Yeah. When we when we talked to Mike Young earlier today, and yeah, I mean, obviously that's a blow. That's your it's your sixth man. That's the guy who can get you. He can get you ten points in a blink and change the tenor of a game. And to, to have that uh, sitting on the bench in street clothes is obviously discouraging for the Hokies. Yeah, and, and I think, and certainly we don't know exactly what's going on with the ankle, but there, there's been this sense of like, okay, maybe he'll be back for ACCs. Maybe he'll be back for the NCAA tournament. I wonder if to the rest of the team, unless they know more than we do, which they very well, Mel, 
they very well may <laughs> say that 10 times. Yeah, that's a tongue twister. Be careful. Yeah. Right, let's let's not use that phrase again. Uh, but I, I wonder if it's a little bit deflating to them to think, okay, because I know for fans it is. I know for fans it's like, well, we're going to get them back for the ACC tournament. Well, we're going to get them back for the NCAAs. I wonder if it has a deflating effect to the team to find out, hey, it's not happening. Could, but I'm, I'm guessing that your, your, your first thought is accurate and that they know that it's unlikely and that any appearance by Jalen Cohn would be, oh, gosh, you know, here's a pleasant surprise. We're going to get him back. Yeah, and I'll tell you, the guys we talked, we talked to Justin Mutz today, and then I, I did the one-on-one with Wibby Sabidi. They seem to be in good spirits. They seem to be loose. Both of them mentioned their steak dinner they had in their hotel room uh, last night. Because, David, these guys are Locked quarantining. Down. Yeah. So they got to Indianapolis. They went straight to the hotel. Now, some teams did a little bit different. Ohio went to Indianapolis on Sunday. They still gathered as a team, watched the selection show, and then went into quarantine and testing. But Virginia Tech got to Indianapolis on Monday, went straight to the hotel, tested. All of those tests were negative, and they are each in their own individual rooms. They're not allowed to see each other, meet each other. And this morning, they had another round of tests. If those tests come back negative, then they'll be able to have a practice this afternoon. Um, the food is delivered on, on a cart. They come out one at a time to get their meals. They, they've pre-ordered. They were sent a menu in advance, asked, what do you want each each of these nights? Uh, it, it, is, it is lockdown, and it is for real. Oh, in a big way. And then... After Mike Young's Zoom session today, jumped on one with VCU's Mike Rhodes, and he described they were they were in their rooms for 21 hours mm. after getting to Indianapolis from Dayton, where Sunday the Rams had lost the A-10 title game to St. Bonaventure. And he said, for the players – it's not that big a deal because they can sleep all the time. They're, <laughs> they're young people in their late teens and 20s. And, and Mike Young alluded to this too. But for the coaches who are older, it is stir-crazy time. They're, they're just – they're losing it. They're like, when can we get out of here? And Coach Rhodes mentioned that when they all got a text from VCU's ops guy saying they had been cleared – to, to actually get, come out of their rooms and meet at the elevator. And I don't know if they were going to a walkthrough or a practice, but they were all like screaming, freedom, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> it, it replaces that, you know, the image we have of Selection Sunday where the team jumps out of its seats when it finds out who it's playing or that it's in the field. I think the image this year is that the guys individually jumping off their beds when they find out they're allowed out of their hotel rooms in Indianapolis. What what a year. What a, what a time to be alive, huh? Yeah, and hey, hey, good on the NCAA. They've, they've even gone as far, Mike, and I don't know if you've ever been to Indianapolis before, but there amid all the big high-rise hotels and, and VCUs in the JW Marriott downtown there is – minor league ballpark cleveland indians affiliate the indianapolis indians plays there and the ncaa has rented out the stadium and has certain times for certain teams to just get out on the baseball field and just wander around and get fresh air (laughs) it's it's great thinking though right oh it it is oh it's 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 very forward thinking but that's where we are with this 
And it makes sense because I think that was one of the things that carried, I think, both of us through like the early part before we had any idea what we were heading to with this pandemic, where it was kind of like, hey, everybody should isolate and lock down for a couple of weeks. Um, it was walks around the neighborhood that kept my family sane. And, and, and that fresh air, it, don't don't undervalue how important that fresh air is to your mental health. No, no question. Uh, you mentioned your conversation with, with Mike Rhodes and VCU. That's one of five Commonwealth teams in the draw this year. Let's start with the Rams. Uh, David, you mentioned they did lose the A-10 title game, but they've played some good basketball up to that point. What do you think of their draw? What do you think of their seed? What's the outlook for VCU? Uh, you know, <laughs> getting the Pac-12 is down, but getting the Pac-12 regular season champion, Oregon, in, in the first round, that's a, that's a tough draw for VCU. And all five of Oregon's starters shoot at least 35% beyond the arc. When you've got five shooters on the floor, virtually at all times, man, that's a bear to guard. Really difficult. Now, the good news for VCU is they're familiar with, with, with some of these guys because Oregon, much like Virginia Tech, is a, is a testament to the power of the transfer portal. <laughs> and, and three of Oregon's five starters are high Division I transfers, including Eric Williams from Duquesne, and, and the Atlantic 10, v- VCU's conference. And then LJ Figueroa transferred in from St. John's, which VCU played when he was there. So Mike Young and his staff at least have a feel for some of the Ducks personnel. But this will be a this will be a challenging game for VCU, no question. Yeah, when I looked at Mike Rhodes' path, <laughs> and you think, okay, if the seeds hold, you're talking Oregon and then, and then Iowa, Iowa, then Luca Garza. Yeah, and I thought to myself, what a great Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight path to have. But it's your first and second round game, right? Yeah. If VCU played Oregon in the Sweet Sixteen and then faced Iowa in the Elite Eight, that seems like about what you'd expect. So uh, much like Virginia Tech, um, I am not a fan of VCU's uh, path to advance. But um, like the coaches always like to say, you're going to have to play good teams uh, at some point anyway. So might as well get rolling. But yeah, that that is to me rough. Now, not as rough, of course, as the path that would be faced by, and I mentioned them earlier, Norfolk State. (laughs) Uh, um, Norfolk State, great story. uh, Winning the MEAC, obviously that tournament had had some of its own issues. Oh, App with COVID, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, changes the – that really was, I think, before Duke, right? The first domino that fell. North that Carolina kinda, A&T. Yeah, kind of caused the, the media workroom there in Greensboro to go, oh, and kind of pause and breathe in and say, oh, wow, so it, it can happen. And then it wasn't long after that that it was Duke and then obviously Virginia. But uh, Norfolk State's been good all year, certainly a, a deserving representative of that conference. I hate I hate when these teams, the, the, the smaller league teams – get put in these, I know they don't call it playing games anymore, but they're playing games. Um, I love the matchups that pit uh, power five schools that didn't get it done enough on the court. Um, I think those should be all the first four games. That being said, Norfolk State, App State, do you have a feel for that before, uh, you know, Goliath and Gonzaga? <laughs> I don't have a feel for it, Mike, but I'll, I'll be a little contrarian about your, your first four point. Those smaller schools that get sent to the first four, 
They love that. And I'll tell you why. Because each game that you play in the NCAA tournament is worth a ton of money to your conference. And this gives them a chance to advance in the field. This is a moneymaker for the MEAC or the Sun Belt, those leagues that, you know, in in all likelihood, in, in normal years, they'd be 16 and 15 seeds and not thinking we're going to advance. But if you, if you win that game, that's as valuable as winning a first-round game. So they are not complaining about being assigned to the first four. Yeah, I, I think the consensus is that um – no, it's it's not necessarily like being fully included in the bracket, but I've heard too the, the idea that it's a winnable game. Mm-hmm. Um, that means a lot to the players because they win a game in the NCAA tournament, and um, you know nobody takes that away from them. Nobody goes back and and splits those hairs. For me, I would love to see the first four be what is it this year? Uh, Michigan State, UCLA. Yeah, um, isn't that that to me is okay? You are big time programs. You're supposed to be here. You didn't quite get the job done at a high enough level to, to be safely in the field man I would love four four matchups like that the last four out against the last four in um, I think that would be great but yeah for the financial reason I don't think the system will change because uh, it is a huge lift and who knows maybe uh, you know we've seen a, a 16 beta beat a one maybe the next thing is a play in 16 to to beat a one <laughs> well and we've maybe. we've seen norfolk state advance too we sure have you know norfolk state as a 15 ko'd second seed missouri i believe it was in 2012 not sure i had that right i remember that team i remember they, they had a big post player and now his name's escaping oh, oh not o'leary um his name's escaping me, but they had a big-time front-court player that kind of became one of those uh, faces. And going back to what we said in the opening, he, he ended up in, in one uh, one shining moment and was one of, one of those faces of the tournament. Uh, now, a, a familiar face in the tournament has been Richie McKay, <laughs> uh, first that. as a UVA assistant, now with Liberty. They're 23-5, and five, and they were kind of locked into that 13 seed almost a month ago, it seemed like, in the bracketology projections. It seems low to me. This seems like a legit tournament team. David, what do you think about Liberty and its draw? I'll, I'll refresh your memory real quick because I, I just cheated. Kyle O'Quinn for Norfolk State. Excellent. That That is the name I was trying to pull. And yes. I could not. Uh, I just and, remember and, he was a load in the front court. And ended up with your Knicks, if, if memory serves. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't so proudly claim them publicly anymore, but that's <laughs> that it. <laughs> that is true, and that once proud franchise is the team that I still root for uh, when I'm watching the NBA. But back to back to our friend Richie McKay. I mean, what a what a great year that they had. You know, winning the the A Sun regular season and tournament, and and had the peculiar experience of not having to win the A Sun final. Because their opponent, I believe it was North Alabama, mm-hmm. is in the transition phase of moving to Division One and therefore not eligible for the NCAA tournament. So it was essentially a, a free pass for, for Liberty, but they, they still won the game. Can you explain? I, I don't, for the life of me, I do not understand why, if you're transitioning and you're good enough, why you'd be ineligible to win. Is that a financial component? Because that just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it's, that, that's exactly right. You have to 
just meet certain requirements. And it, it it's odd because in, in most cases like that, Mike, you're ineligible. The, the conference makes you ineligible for the tournament, for, for the league tournament, because they don't want you winning the conference <laughs> championship, but have, <laughs> have nothing to show for it. But, you know, that's not how the, the A-Sun chose to do it. No, Richie McKay's club took care of that concern anyway. And obviously, they are great defensively. You know, they are. I went out a year ago to the A-Sun tournament, did a story, and, you know, they're the baby UVA, and, and Richie McKay wears that that label with pride. But they can score the ball. D- David, this is, I mean, maybe much like Virginia, this is a better offensive version too. Um, I think Liberty can be dangerous. Well, they, they, they can, and you mentioned their ability to score the ball. To clinch the regular season in the A-Sun, Liberty just, and this is on the road too, down in, in Louisville, they demolished Bellarmine. And, you know, I, I believe it was high 90s, maybe even hung 100 on them. And I texted Richie and said, you know, are you channeling your inner Paul Westhead here? What got into you? <laughs> Tony Bennett's not going to recognize this team. And he just la- he laughed and said, no, nah, I've been watching too much league pass recently. <laughs> and, but you, you're right. You know, Liberty has that balance about it that can challenge folks. Now, Kate Cunningham and the Cowboys mm-hmm. are going to test that defense. And Oklahoma State's been playing some fine basketball. And you talked about the possibility of Virginia Tech being underseeded. I think most people had Oklahoma State pegged for maybe even two lines above the four seed that it received. Yeah, I thought they would be a two, could fall to a three. They, they played really well down the stretch. So again, and, and I feel like we keep saying it with these teams that we're covering, but Liberty's uh, perspective path of Oklahoma State, and then if the seeds hold, it, it would be Tennessee. Uh that's a rough. That's a rough road to go, but um, but there is a there's a tournament pedigree now. I think at Liberty with, with Richie McKay's club that that certainly helps them. Yes, I mean they they advanced. They they beat Mississippi yeah. State two years ago before losing to Virginia Tech in the, in the round of 32. Absolutely, and pedigree matters. So as we've had this conversation, it, it feels like we don't love the draw for any of these teams. That kind of brings us to this week's edition of Who You Got. Thanks, Mike. The Commonwealth, of course, has five teams this year in the NCAA tournament. And of those five teams, which one will advance the deepest this month? Who you got? Let's start with Mike. You know, it's the riskiest pick of all, but I'm still going to go with with UVA. Um, I'm sort of shutting out reality (laughs) in a sense and saying, hey, I think UVA, as as I know them, (laughs) is better than Ohio and can beat Creighton. Um, now, if I find out that the player they're missing is going to be one of those guys that they can't afford, yeah, obviously it's a terrible pick, but I, I don't love the draw for, for anybody. Um, I don't love the matchups. We, we talked about, I mean, VCU and VCU's feels to me like a Sweet 16 Elite Eight pairing in the first two rounds. Uh, Virginia Tech with Florida and then a two seed in Ohio State that could have been a one. Uh, I don't like that draw. Um, certainly, you know, Norfolk State as a 16, if they are able to get to that Gonzaga game, they have their work cut out for them. Liberty would be my next choice, but but in the end, I, I'm going to go with UVA. Um, let's hope that whoever they're missing, they can overcome it because I think on paper anyway, Virginia is better than the teams it's getting paired with to, to advance. 
Thanks, Mike. David, who you got? Agreed. The, the, the Cavaliers are certainly the most likely to survive the opening weekend. I think when it all comes down to it, you know, the question was which of the teams from the Commonwealth will advance the furthest. I think it'll end up being a push that we'll see a couple teams reach a second round, but not not advance all, all the way to the regional semifinals. Yeah, I'm curious if I asked you this, is it more likely that one or one of them makes it through or more likely that all of them go home uh, after the second round? You got five shots at it. You know, I, I, you know one out of five, one out of five can can make it. Yeah, why not? Be optimistic. <laughs> you sound a little bit like Aaron McFarlane computing the gambling yeah, odds yes, in, exactly. in like a poker hand. Well, you got five five in play, so uh, it will certainly certainly be interesting to see. And before we get out of here, you know, you know, while all this is is going on, uh, real quick today this morning, Virginia Tech football they opened spring practice they didn't get spring practice a year ago david i think more than in in other times because they were changing defensive coordinators i think that was huge missing last spring i think this spring is big for the hokies i think the 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 spring is you ask any football coach mike spring football is like their favorite time of year (laughs) because they're not scouting opponents it's just all about their team and they get to practice with their guys, and they love it. And to have that pulled out from under them last season by or last spring by the pandemic, that really hurt. And as you mentioned, it was compounded by the fact that not only did Virginia Tech have a new defensive coordinator, it had a whole lot of changes on the defensive side of the ball. So that that was that was quite the challenge, and it showed. And not only because of the coaching transition, but then early in the season, the the, the COVID issues on on that side of the ball. Yeah, just decimated that defense, particularly in the defensive secondary. And mm-hmm. you know, it was interesting. We saw Justin Hamilton kind of dial back, simplify what he was trying to do, and and we had the chance to talk to Dax Hollyfield, the, the linebacker, this week, and. He said that by the end of the year, they were getting back into what Justin Hamilton really envisions for his defense. So this isn't a case where Justin Hamilton tried his ideas out, they didn't work, and he scrapped it. This was a case where they really didn't have time to lay the foundation and to teach the scheme that Justin Hamilton really wants them playing. That's what this spring is about. It's about getting back to what he had wanted to do all along, having spring to lay the groundwork, refine it, refine it some more in the fall. I think they're going to look different defensively. I think they're going to be be better defensively. I think they've got some good pieces. Um, I think Justin Hamilton is very eager to show that um, a lot of the struggles last year were, you know, you don't blame it on COVID or missing people, but going back before that, man, he didn't really get the chance to establish what he wants to do. I think he's going to get the chance this time around. Agreed, and it eases the the transition of the new members of of, of his staff that this spring with you know having Jack Tyler at, at linebackers coach and having J C Price assist Bill Tierlink on on the defensive line. Yeah, no doubt. All all those guys are going to benefit. And the other thing they benefit from, David, is Braxton Burmeister is the quarterback right now. (laughs) And it seems like for the last few years, there's been question, right? There's been competition. Mm -hmm. And I know coaches say they love competition at the quarterback position, but in some ways it hurts you, right? You can't be the leader. I asked Braxton Burmeister this week. I said, can you really be the leader 
if you're splitting time at quarterback <laughs> and it's hard, right? You, you, you want to be the man, but if you act too much like the man, are you stepping on the toes of the other man, man, one a and one B? Uh, I think it's easier now that you've got a guy who's kind of clearly the guy at quarterback. It's hard to fall in line behind a guy. You don't even know if he's going to start, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I think your point is, 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 is quite good. And it, it does. I think it comes with benefits. I mean, my, my question is more along the lines of who's he throwing to and who's he handing off to? Mm-hmm. Those, those are bigger questions surrounding the Hokies offense to me. And after having a couple guys transfer, who's blocking for Braxton Burmeister? Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting spring. Certainly, we're focused right now on March Madness and basketball, but we'll get more in, into the Hokies football and then UVA. They'll be starting up their spring program as well. Uh, that's coming down the line. But for right now, David, it's it's March Madness time. It is, and you know, is 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 different and unique as it's going to be after not having it last year and this year's schedule is different and there's not going to be fans but still i think all of us who love college basketball are really looking forward to to thursday night and and seeing some ncaa tournament games well said my friend you and i both fly out thursday so safe travels to you and uh should be should be interesting Yep, we're on the same flight if memory serves. So, <laughs> but I don't. I don't know if we'll be sitting. I don't know how they're doing the spacing. When I looked on my seating chart, it looked like every seat was taken. So, uh, I guess have your mask ready. <laughs> oh, I have my mask ready. Trust me. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Well, thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week. Thank you.